You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you are God with us. So would you be God with us tonight in the reading and preaching of your word, pour out your Holy Spirit, that as we hear this good news of Christmas, that we would know that we are not alone. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, hey friends, Merry Christmas. I'm Corey, I'm the lead pastor here at Third, so grateful that you're with us. I know that um, in addition to those of you who are in the room, there's Some of you down in the Fellowship Hall, I know there's a lot of you online in these really crazy times. We're just so grateful that that you can be with us, that no matter who you are or where you are in your spiritual journey or where you literally physically are at this moment, uh, we're super glad that we can be here together. We are here tonight because Christians believe that what we are celebrating tonight changed the world forever. This is actually the central claim of Christianity, that the God who made heaven and earth at a single point in time unzipped space and time and stepped into the world that he made. This is what we've been singing about for like the last 20 minutes. Uh, did, you, did you hear uh, this verse that we sang? I, I just think this verse by Charles Wesley is so amazing. We sang this, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, the incarnate deity. Listen, pleased as man, with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Did you hear that? Are y'all even awake? Turn to your neighbor and say, did you hear that? Because listen, listen. If this really happened, this incarnation, what C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle, If this really happened, then it really does, it's the most important thing that has ever happened in history. And this is why we're here, this is why we're celebrating, this is why we're singing, this is why no matter how hard life gets, no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how weary we are, nothing can stop, nothing can undo, nothing can undermine or take away what God has already done in coming to us, being for us in Jesus Christ tonight. Merry Christmas. It's good news. If you've been uh, with us um, the last month or so um, at our church, we've been doing the sermon series in the Advent called um, The Mothers of Jesus. And what we've been doing is looking at the first chapter of the book of Matthew. It's actually the first chapter in the whole New Testament. And it's kind of funny because the whole, the whole New Testament begins with a list, a, a family tree, a genealogy. And it's surprising for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is because five women are included in the list, which is pretty unheard of in the ancient world. But not only are there women, but these particular women are somewhat eyebrow-raising women, <laughs> women who you would not expect, women who were on the outside, women who were disgraced in some ways. And so we've looked at Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. And tonight, we're ending our series on these mothers of Jesus by looking at, guess who? Mary, the actual literal mother of Jesus. And here is the crazy claim, y'all, that God came into our world 
through the womb of a teenager. <laughs> it's hilarious. God came into the world through a womb of a teenager. This girl named Mary. So we're going to hear her story tonight. Peyton's going to read this great story to us from Luke chapter 1. So I hope you'll listen. I know you've heard this story before, but I hope you'll sort of try to listen as if you've never heard it before. Let's hear God's word. A reading from Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of our favorite Christmas books uh, that we like to read every year at home is called The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. Have y'all, anybody read that in the room? A few, few of you. Um, the, so the book is about this family of, of, it's mostly, I guess it's like mostly kids, like eight or nine kids uh, named the Herdmans. And the Herdmans are the worst kids ever. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they talk dirty, they punch little kids, they cuss out their teachers, they set fire to barns and sheds, and they smoke cigars. And so they're just like the most terrible kids ever. And so it is to the great shock and dismay of the local pageant director when the Herdmans decide that they're going to join to sign up for the annual local church Christmas pageant. They do it for the snacks, um, but they do it nevertheless. And, and, it's, and everybody just knows this is going to be a disaster. You know, as soon as they start joining in, uh, everything goes crazy. Chaos breaks loose. Everyone knows this is going to be the worst Christmas pageant ever. But much to everyone's surprise, it turns out that the Herdmans actually suddenly bring all of this life and authenticity to the pageant, making it one of the best ones ever. This is what the narrator says. Instead of ruining it, it seemed like the Herdmans had improved the pageant a lot just by doing what came naturally, like burping the baby or thinking that a ham would be a better present than perfumed oil, obviously. They were just, listen to this, they were just real people. They were just real people. And you know, so we've heard these Christmas stories so many times before, haven't we? And, we some, and all the romanticism of them all, we sometimes forget that these are real people just like us. 
people who just encountered something so amazing and holy that night that they could hardly believe it. And one of these real people is Mary. And it's hard to get through to the real Mary. There's a lot of mysticism and there's a lot of mystery and there's a lot of romanticism around this person, Mary. As it says in the greatest Christmas pageant ever, we think of Mary as sort of quiet and dreamy and out of this world. I mean, if you've ever seen a Renaissance painting of the Virgin Mary, I mean, it looks like she's a Swedish beauty queen who just came from a full day at the spa when the, when the angel met her. And so it's hard to get to the real Mary. But when we actually look at her and we study her and we see that she's just a real ordinary person. She's not from any special family. She's from no special pedigree. She's from an ordinary blue-collar town, probably the equivalent of like Petersburg or Dinwiddie. She's probably 13 or 14 years old. She is probably very pessimistic about the kind of life that lays before her, coming from the working-class family that she does. And yet this girl, Mary, becomes the first person not only to hear the Christmas message, but to receive it. And so tonight, let's just look for a few minutes at this astonishing person. What did she hear? What was the Christmas message that Mary heard? And how could we respond, receive it like she did? Okay, so first of all, what, what is the Christmas message? What is the message that Mary heard? Well, let's look again at what the angel said to Mary, because it's kind of wordy, and it kind of went by fast, so let's look at this together, okay? It says this, the angel says, you will conceive Mary and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, it's hard to do this because this happened 2,000 years ago, but try to put yourself in the shoes of Mary, as she what, did she, what would she have heard when she heard these words? Okay, Mary's Jewish, right? And thousands of years before this, God had made a promise to the great king, David. Second Samuel 7, God made a promise to David, and he said, David, one day, out of your line, out of your body, out of your throne, out of your rule, in your line, I am going to bring a special king, a king called the Messiah. <laughs> Let's just all say that together because I'm gonna try to wake you up. Let's say Messiah, <laughs> Messiah, okay? So, so this is, and this is not just a, this is not just like a good king. This is the, an eternal king, a divine king, a king who would not just like fix some stuff, but would actually bring true justice and true healing and true joy and peace and restoration and consummation to a broken world, that this king would come to reign eternal and to make the world right again. So this promise was given all those years ago and for generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, the Jewish people have been waiting and longing and hoping for God to fulfill this promise. And Mary herself has been waiting. She's been hearing of this promise ever since she was a little girl. She heard it from the Jewish scripture. She heard it from her mom and dad. She heard it from her granny and her grandpa. She heard about this. She herself was waiting for this promise of the Messiah to be fulfilled. So you can imagine her shock when this angel appears before her and says, Mary, this king, this Messiah 
that your people have been waiting for for thousands of years. He's about to show up and you're gonna be his mom. What? I mean, just, can, can you just, some of y'all are 14. Can you, can you put herself on her shoes? How would she be feeling at that moment? Scared, overwhelmed, confused, amazed. Probably has a thousand questions, right? Here's something else I think, though, that Mary probably felt. Hope. A thrill of hope. Why? Because remember, Mary was not a princess living in a palace. She was a peasant living in a pigsty. Mary was poor. Mary was hungry. Mary was demoralized. Mary was politically and socially oppressed. Mary and her people had had so much taken from them in a world in which the Romans were on the top of the food chain. Mary was the wrong race, the wrong gender, and the wrong class. She was at the very bottom. And so you can imagine for someone like her, someone who is desperate, someone who is discouraged, someone who is depressed, someone who is demoralized. You can imagine for someone who has been beaten up and beaten down by the world, for her to hear that message, Mary, God sees you. God sees you and he sees your pain and he knows your suffering and he knows your sorrow. And in fact, he doesn't just see it. He is coming down to literally be with you, in you, with it, in it. And not just to be with you, but to ultimately save you, to rescue you from it. See, that's the Christmas message that Mary heard. It was a message of rescue. You know, it's easy to get confused about what the Christmas message is. Um, you know, we, my family loves to listen to Christmas music, just like everybody else. We, we, we have our, you know, our, the station in our car, we have the radio tuned to that station, Mix 98.1, which starts to play Christmas music in July, you know, and they just keep playing it and playing it. And, and I'm telling you, you could, if you were like an alien and you came down and you only listened to Mix 98.1 in December, you, and someone asked you, what's Christmas all about? You would be real confused because there's a lot of mixed messages about what Christmas is all about. Here's a song that they play a lot in Mix 98.1. It's by these dudes called the Jonas Brothers. You all know about the Jonas Brothers. Um, they're real, you know, nice, handsome fellows. And they, and they, and they sing this song. Um, Look at the lights, twinkling bright, 24-7, covered in white. This could be heaven, and I don't want to miss a single thing. Don't want to put an end to all this cheer, but as long as you're with me, baby, it's always this time of year. Yeah, yeah, woo, woo. <laughs> Good song. And... Um, and, and, and the message, I actually do like the song, and, um, but the message of the song is what a lot, of the Christmas message, a lot of the Christmas songs are. It's about the feelings of Christmas, right? Like the warmth we feel, the coziness, the snuggliness, like, like what you feel with like the trees and the lights and the tinsel and the mistletoe and the gifts and the Santa and you know, all those kinds of things. It's the feeling of, that Christmas is about this warm feeling that inspires us to be kinder, more generous people, right? That's, that's the general Christmas message that we hear. And that's fine. I'm all for that. I love the Christmas feels. But what I want to just be clear on is this, is that what Mary heard, what Mary, the, the original Christmas message that Mary heard was not about warm feelings. 
And it was not even about how we humans should better treat one another. The original message that Mary heard was a message about God's rescue, about God who sees us in our pain, sees us in our suffering, sees us in our sorrow, and loves us and cares for us so much that he comes down and comes in to set us free. It's a message of rescue. And don't you think that's a message that we still need to hear? I mean, do, do, do y'all remember before the pandemic? Or maybe you don't even remember. <laughs> no one remembers life before the pandemic. But what I was going to say is, do you, remember, do you remember before the pandemic when you asked someone, like, oh, how are you? And even if their like, life was terrible, they'd be like, oh, I'm fine. Well, like, one thing the pandemic has changed is that people don't lie anymore. <laughs> have, you, have you noticed that? People will actually tell you how they are. At least they tell me, maybe because I'm a pastor, but I'm guessing they probably tell you too. So I've heard recently when I ask people how they are, they say things like exhausted, uh, burned out, anxious, stuck, overwhelmed, done. You know, we thought 2020 was the worst year ever, and then it turns out that 2021 was just like last year's big ugly brother. And this pandemic, and, and you know, like, when's it all going to end? And it feels like a big old whiplash. And then just all of the political and social division that it creates and all of the fighting over masking and mandates and testing and all of the conflict that this creates in our families. And this is not even to mention, like, just the personal pain and struggles in our own lives, our own households, our own marriages, our own kids. And it's just like the season of joy has been robbed and replaced with a season of resentment and weariness. And with all due respect to the Jonas Brothers and their friends, we're not actually making this world a better place. And we're not bringing peace and joy and justice into this world. And, and in fact, to me at least, the world feels more stuck than it's ever been. Which is why the message that Mary heard at Christmas is truly good news. God sees us. He knows our situation. He will not let this world stay stuck, but he has come to be with us in it and ultimately to rescue us. And that even though we are still waiting, we know that God is now with us and in the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be absolutely sure that God has guaranteed that in the end, everything is gonna be okay. That's the Christmas message. It's a message of God's rescue. So how did Mary respond to this? Well, um, a couple of ways. The first way, which is kind of surprising, is that she responded with honest questioning. With honest questioning, right? And this is actually um, indirectly... I think a little bit of proof that we know that this was not just some religious fairy tale that somebody made up. Because if somebody made this up, Mary would respond something like this. Oh, praise the Lord. The angel of the Lord has visited me in my humble estates. You know, like something like that. But she doesn't say that. Instead, what does it say about Mary? It says, she was greatly troubled and that she wondered. And that's this great Greek word, dolegetsamai. And it means like, she... she furiously reasoned. She intellectually grappled. This is a sharp young woman who simply cannot believe what she is hearing. And she is reacting the way you or me might hear. She's like, what in the world? What is happening to me? This is crazy. 
how do I make sense of this? She's grappling with the truth. And then after the angel tells her some more stuff, she starts to ask questions. She says, dude, I'm a virgin. <laughs> How can this be? I mean, she's not this like primitive uh, um, pushover. She's, 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 she's asking questions. She's interrogating. She's probing. This is not the passive, demure heroine that we often imagine Mary to be. She's bold. She's sassy. She's pushing back on the angel. She's not just taking his word for it. She is trying to get to the truth. Do you love that about her? And here's why I'm saying this is because I just want to point out that when we talk about Christmas, when Christians talk about Christmas, and sometimes Christians, if you've been in church for a while, church people, you get a little numb to this, this idea. But what we are talking about tonight is a truly astonishing claim. We are saying that God became human, that the creator became created, that the God who was bigger than the universe became small as a single cell. And that is a wild claim. And so it makes sense if you have questions. It makes sense that you would have doubts. It makes sense that you would struggle to believe this sometimes. And in fact, some of you I recognize most of you, but some of you I don't recognize and I'm not sure why you're, maybe, you know, maybe someone made you to make you come here. I'm so sorry if that happened. Um, and so some of you might just be here because your family dragged you here and you might have a lot of questions. In fact, you might not believe this at all. And, um, and, and you might not know, even know what you believe. And you might be struggling and seeking the truth. And what I want you to see, friends, is that if that's you, you have good company with Mother Mary because she's a bold seeker after truth. She doesn't just take, she doesn't just sit passively and idly by. She wrestles and wants to get to the truth. See, the enemy of faith is not doubt, is not questions. The enemy of faith is apathy. Apathy that doesn't care. Apathy that never asks any hard questions. Apathy that never wrestles. Apathy that just sits there and just, will the preacher just shut up so I can go home and eat pie, right? but true faith. Look, if this is real, if this really happened, then isn't it worth giving a lot of your life and a lot of your time to getting to the bottom of this? Don't just be this semi-religious person who shows up at Christmas Eve services because it's tradition. It's not just tradition. If this is true, then it means everything has changed and you need to give everything that you have to get to the God who has moved heaven and earth to get to you. So go after the truth, like Mary. She honestly questioned. But something else she did, the second thing that she did is this. She courageously surrenders. Yeah, Mary questioned. Yeah, she wrestled. Yeah, she asked interrogation, interrogating questions. But when it comes to down to decision time, Mary says these famous words in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. These are very famous words. Sometimes they're called the fiat. Fiat means let it be in Latin. We sometimes overlook the shocking quality of her words. We think, oh, of course she said that. You know, she gets to be God's mom. You know, of course. Really? Really? I mean, can you... 
Do you realize, again, put herself in her shoes. In consenting to this, Mary is essentially agreeing to let her life be completely overturned. She is allowing her life to be disrupted and messed up. Just think of the questions that are running through her head. What would it be like to be an unmarried pregnant woman in a society that she could be stoned for that? How is she going to explain this to her fiance? How is she going to talk to her parents, her in-laws, her, her, her friends, her community? What, I mean, she's just a teenager. What would it be like for her to grow up her entire life with this shadow, this suspicion hanging over her? And, and not even to mention, what would it be like to raise the Messiah in a backwater town and all of the hardship and potential suffering that this would bring? And so here she is, little Mary, standing there with all of those questions and all of those fears and all of those uncertainties and all of those confusion rushing in on her. And she has the audacity and courage to say, I'm the Lord's servant. Let's do it. Let it be to me as you say. I mean, the courage, the faith, it's amazing. One of the great 20th century theologians, Paul McCartney, who uh, was in that pretty okay band, the Beatles, um, was so inspired by Mary's words here that he wrote one of the most famous songs, the 20th century about it. You, do, you, do you know it? Do you know how it goes? When I find myself in times of trouble, you can sing with me. Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And then it goes like this. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. See, McCartney was, he was taken by this image of this teenage girl staring into an uncertain future and saying, let it come. For him, that was, a, that was a powerful image of courage and hope. And that's what that song's about. It's about finding hope in your hour of darkness. It's about taking the next step into your unknown future, even when you don't see how the story is going to end. The line that always gets me is, when the brokenhearted people living in the world agree there will be an answer. And that's Mary, man. So many unanswered questions, so much uncertainty, so much darkness and confusion ahead of her potentially, and yet she believes there will be an answer. There will be an answer, and so with incredible courage and hope, she says, let it be. Don't you want that? Don't you want that kind of courage? Don't you want that kind of power? In your hour of darkness, in your brokenheartedness, in your uncertainty, in your confusion. You know, and as beautiful as that Beatles song is, it never really says what the answer is and how we ever actually know that everything will turn out in the end. And this is where Mary's wisdom is truly profound because she was able to move ahead with hope, not because she had this like vague idea that everything's going to turn out, but because in that moment, she trusted and she believed that this God saw her 
loved her, was with her, and was her only hope. And therefore, clinging to that God, not even knowing what was ahead, she surrendered. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. Let it be. So you see, Mary, friends, is not just the mother of Jesus. She's the first Christian. Because being a Christian is not just believing in God. Being a Christian is not even just believing in Jesus. Being a Christian is to be like Mary, is to surrender. And, and to say to God, like she did, you know what? I don't know what this exactly will mean. I don't know what this is going to bring into my life. Uh, uh, I don't know what I'm going to have to give up. But I see who you are. I see that you're with me. I see what you've done for me in Jesus. And so I give you my life. I surrender control. I give up the agenda to run my own life. And I say, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be. Now that might sound scary. In a world that's out of control, why would you ever want to give up control? <laughs> but here's the amazing thing, is that this is the only way to a life that is truly secure and that is truly free. Because by taking your little life out of your own little hands and putting it into the hands of the great big God, you actually can only and only then know that truly everything in the end is going to be okay. Because it's no longer up to you. It's up to the God who holds you. The God who came for you at Christmas and the God who is coming again to make all things right. So will you surrender? Will you surrender like Mary did? Well, let's close by returning again to the best Christmas pageant ever. Of all the Herdman kids... Imogene was the worst one. She had the worst mouth. She was the worst bully. And she was the ringleader of them all. And so, of course, when it came to the play, she claims the most important role, the role of Mary. <laughs> In the dress rehearsal, when the wise men tried to approach the baby Jesus to bring him gifts, Imogene punched him in the nose and said, Get away from my baby! So nobody thought this was going to turn out well. <laughs> but much of the shock of everyone, as Imogene sat there as Mary holding the baby Jesus, and as they began to sing Silent Night at the end, Imogene began to cry. And the narrator says this, she just sat there in her crooked veil, crying and crying. Christmas had just come over her all at once like a case of the chills. She had just caught on to the idea of God the wonder of Christmas. And that's what we all hope and pray will happen to you. It's happened to me, happened to Mary, happened to Emma Jean, happened to a lot of you. The Christmas message is not for those who have everything together. It's for those with crooked veils. Uh, it's not for the strong and the proud. The Christmas message is not for the competent and the optimistic and the secure and the successful. The message of Christmas is for the weary. It's for the stuck it's for the discouraged. It's for those who know that they need rescue. It's for those who know that they need hope. And so if that's you, and I'm pretty sure if you dig down deep in your heart, you'll see that it is you. If that's you, then here's the invitation. Would you come? Would you trust? Would you believe? Would you surrender? 
would you receive? And then you can sing. These songs are real. You can sing that song that says, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Let's pray. We do praise you, God, for Mary. We praise you for this astonishing young woman and for the example that she is to us. She shows us what it means to be a Christian. First of all, to know that we are desperate enough to need rescue. And then, despite all of her questions, to trustingly surrender. So I pray that you would give us that same kind of faith that you gave Mary tonight, and that we would know that thrill of hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.